0: Today is the first Sunday in the four-week season of Advent. The four weeks that lead up to Christmas. And it is a season in which we renew our hope as the people of God. And our cry, come Lord Jesus, or Maranatha, as we read of it in the New Testament. At the heart of our Christian hope is the reality that Jesus, the crucified, risen, and living King, is going to return to this creation and fix what is broken. Take away our pain and tears and even death itself to make all things new. To rid the world of injustice, of hatred, of racism, of broken relationships and everything else that is wrong and broken about the world. He is coming back to make all things well. Praise be to God. We need this hope and we need to remember this hope. This is a season in which we renew it. This hope in Christ's promised return. We are awaiting people, a hope-filled people. As we refresh our hope in Jesus, ...and his coming return, we are reminded of two important truths. First of all, the world as we currently experience it is not as the world will always be. The pain and the brokenness and the heartache that we all experience... ...and this year has given us a vivid reminder of these things... ...is not native to God's creation. These difficulties are not the willful intention of our creator. Instead, they are rather the inevitable and just result of our rebellion against him in sin. And second... The glorious news at the center of the Christian gospel is that sin has been defeated. That in Christ's death and resurrection, sin, evil, and death were decisively defeated and overthrown. And that a renewal movement has been established. What the New Testament calls a new creation. At present, we only see this in bits and pieces as individuals and communities are transformed through the power of God's Spirit... But one day God's new creation power will flood the world in a final great act of renewal. And this is our great hope. This is what we're longing for. And we need to be reminded of regularly as the people of God. This is our hope. And it's a hope, of course, that depends upon Jesus. That centers on Jesus. And this is why the church makes so much of Jesus in our life together. This has been the goal of our study in John's Gospel. To come and see This Jesus who is at the center of this great hope. And to lift him up in our lives, in our city, and in our world. And this goal to see Jesus remains our goal as we now take up this four-week Advent journey through the prologue of John's Gospel. Verses 1 through 18 of John's Gospel in chapter 1. We began this series, I, I mentioned a quote that's often said about the Gospel of John. It says, the Gospel of John is shallow enough for a child to wait in it. But it's deep enough for an elephant to swim in it. Well in verse 1 we step right into the deep end. And we can never touch the bottom. I've told you before that my dad was an airline pilot. He flew commercially for 34 years. And he was also a pilot of B-52s in the Air National Guard. All of that to say that growing up in our family. We heard our share of flying stories. And we developed a love for planes. And there was one plane in particular that I remember my brothers and I being particularly fascinated with and captured by. It was the SR-71 Blackbird. A reconnaissance aircraft that once reached the speed of 2,193 miles per hour. Which I think is why we are obsessed with it because most boys are obsessed with speed. And it flew at altitudes of over 85,000 feet. The speed and height of this aircraft were used to see where no one else could see. To go behind enemy lines and give a unique and critical perspective on the situation at hand. And in some ways I think it's fair to call John's gospel and the prologue in particular the SR 71 of the New Testament. This passage sees beyond what we can typically see. Remember in the early church John's gospel is associated with the eagle in the vision of Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 1. For this precise reason because an eagle can see through things and behind things and beyond things. And John's gospel provides us a unique and profound perspective on the person of Jesus who is at the center of our faith. Now where does John get this perspective from? This is really important to note. Because John's gospel including the prologue is not a dry and arid uh, discourse from some philosopher or professional theologian. Rather John's words are love infused words. Words that have warmth. And the reality of a person who has lived with this Jesus walked with him eaten with him uh, worked with him and done ministry with him. A person who had seen this Jesus hang on the cross and die at the hands of the Romans and rise again from the dead three days later. And had then walked with him after his resurrection eaten fish with him on the on the beach and learned from him all that he wanted to teach him. And this John is also filled by the spirit as John as Jesus in the gospel of John promises the spirit who will come the comforter. John is a spirit-inspired, first-hand, eyewitness. And he gives us his account with that kind of warmth. We need to remember that as we take up the depth of these words in the prologue. That they're coming from the pen of a man who knew the Jesus about whom he writes. We're going to take verses 1 through 5 of the prologue this morning in two parts. First, the being of the word in verses 1 and 2. And then the action of the word in verses 3 through 5. Who this one is has shaped the history of the world. And what he has done has changed that history. And John starts here. So the person of the word. Who is the word? This is what we get in verse 1. In the beginning was the word or the logos. And the word was with God and the word was God. I just want to break that down. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning. John's opening lines intentionally echo the opening lines of Genesis. But the beginning in Genesis is correlated with divine action. God made, we read there. Whereas the beginning that John writes about is correlated with divine being. The word was, was in the beginning. Could we get any broader than this? Before creation, the word, the logos, was. Athanasius, the 4th century church father, said this in reference to Arius. Those who maintain there was a time when the sun was not. And that is what Arius said about the sun. Rob God of his word like plunderers. There never was a time when the sun was not. In the beginning was the logos, the word. Which existed before time preceding creation. Jesus actually bears witness to this in his final prayer in John's gospel in chapter 17 verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Where was the logos, the word, in the beginning? The second statement in verse 1 tells us with God. The preposition here translated with is not the typical one in Greek, but it's often used when describing two persons being with one another. And that suggests that the word is a person. And we know that this, of course, is the case as the prologue will go on to tell us in verse 14 that the word is identified as the son. And this means that from the beginning, there was a relation in God. An eternal relation between the word and God. The son and the father. And the gospel of John is setting forth this mysterious relation to us over and over again. I should say at this point. What an amazing truth that we bring into the world as Christians. That God has revealed. That at the center of all things. Is not brute force and power. Not a monad. But a triune God. An eternal relation an eternal fellowship of, peop- of persons, love, and interaction. That's at the center of the universe, of all things, as a God who is relation, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That explains so much, by the way. It explains why we long for relationship, why we long to be loved, why we long for harmony and beauty, because these are things in the heart of the being who is at the heart of all things. And that is very different than just a being of brute force or power. There's a lot that could be said there. But I'll leave it at that for the moment. Where was this word in the beginning? The word was with God. But then the third thing that John says. The word was God. Now our heads start to spin. In the Greek actually the the emphasis is on the word God. Which comes first. If we were to translate it literally it says. And God was the word. Do you feel the depth and the profundity of these words? That one who was just said to be with God. So there is distinction enough that the word can be said to be with God. Is now said to be God. So there is distinction. But there is identification. So that this word can rightly be said to be God. This of course is a great mystery. But it's a mystery and a relationship that the rest of John's gospel brings out to us. Distinction and identification. Here's how Ed Clowney writes about this. The word was with God. God's eternal fellow. The word was God. God's own self. We need to remember that John and all of the early Christians were Jews. That is they were strict monotheists believing in one God. They would have repeated the Shema every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One. Within Judaism, there was a clear distinction between God and not God. Between creator and creature. It was a fundamental distinction and nothing on the side of creature could ever cross the line to creator. Creator. There was only one God and he alone was to be worshipped. But the reality of Jesus, the word, the logos, was changing all of that in these earliest Christians. For in Jesus, they had encountered one who, as we have seen already in our study of John's gospel, was doing things that only God could be doing. Providing bread in the wilderness. Calming and walking on the sea. Healing on the Sabbath and saying when he did so that my father is working so I too must be working. Jesus again and again is putting himself on the God side, the creator side of this demarcation in the world. John eight fifty eight. before Abraham was, I am, Jesus says, the divine name on his lips. And in John chapter 20, after his resurrection, Thomas, who had doubted that Jesus would rise from the dead, sees Jesus, sees the scars on his hands and his feet and says to him, my Lord and my God. If Jesus was not on the creator side of creator and creation distinctions, then in that moment, Jesus should have rebuked Thomas and said, no, not so. But instead, he affirms Thomas's confession and affirms his faith and calls others to have a similar kind of faith. John wants us to know this from the beginning. The one whose story he is about to tell is none other than the divine being himself in the person of the son. When we say that we believe in Jesus, this is what we mean in the church. We mean that we believe in the word who was in the beginning with God and was God. We believe in this person, I met someone out on the sidewalk this week on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, He was standing in the line to receive a meal that our team of volunteers was serving in our ministry that serves our neighbors who experience homelessness. And it was a passing conversation. But in the course of the conversation, he found out that I was a pastor. And when he found that out, he looked at me and said, I'm a Muslim. We believe in Jesus too. And while that is true in one sense, because Muslims do acknowledge that Jesus Did exist and was one of the prophets. It is absolutely and fundamentally not true. In the most important sense. Because they do not not acknowledge. The Jesus that is portrayed here in verse 1 of John's gospel. Just a prophet is not believing in Jesus. To believe or I should say. To acknowledge the historical fact that Jesus existed. And that he said some good things. And had some interesting teaching. Is far far different. From affirming that one's deity. Power and ongoing life. And rule over the world. And that is what we affirm and believe as Christians. This is a distinctly Christian affirmation. Christ is the center of meaning. Christ is the center of the world. And this is all packed in for us. In verse 1 of John's gospel. It's breathtaking. The New Testament scholar C.K. Barrett. Wrote about this verse. In this way. He said. John intends that the whole of his gospel shall be read in the light of this verse, verse 1. The deeds and words of Jesus are the deeds and words of God. If this be not true, this book is blasphemous. In reflecting on this text and its implications, Calvin comments wisely. We ought to be sober in thinking and modest in speaking about such high mysteries verse 2 goes on he was with God in the beginning this one was with God in the beginning emphasizing and repeating what has already been shown to us about the person the being of the word in verse 1 at this point let me make a little observation about why John might use the title of the word the logos why does he use the word I think most basically it's the fact that the word reveals God to us. Jesus is God's most comprehensive message to his world. Think about how we learn the unseen and unknown thoughts of a person. We learn them when that person opens their mouth and begins to speak. That's how we understand his or her thoughts and inner being when they speak. Those words communicate what is deep in the heart and mind of a person and it is in the same way with God when God wants the world to know his innermost thoughts and heart he sends his word the logos the word reveals what is hidden what is deep within God and brings it out to us that we might know him so Jesus says in John 14 verse 9 whoever has seen me has seen the father Or as we read at the end of the prologue which we'll look at more closely in a few weeks no one has ever seen God. Verse 18 the only God who is at the Father's side he has made him known. The word makes known the God who is hidden and we'll consider this again more fully in the future but I would be remiss not to mention this now. Do you want to know what God is like? Do you want to know who God is? Do you want to know what he thinks about you and about the world? Then look at Jesus. That's what the gospels teach us. And John's gospel in particular. Look at Jesus. God speaks the word, the logos. So that we might know him and his heart and his intentions. We look at Jesus' person and being and his actions. To know who God is. And that's exactly the way God wants it to be. If you want to know me, God says, look at my son. Study my son. Get to know my son. Exalt my son. that's how you will get to know me here is God in the person of the son acting with saving self-sacrificial and forgiving love and this is at the heart of the gospel so John uses the title the logos because the logos reveals God the word of God reveals God and that is true also in the Old Testament it's also true that the word of God creates in the Old Testament in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth God said let there be light and there was light The word creates and the word also saves so creation and salvation are actions of the word and these are an appropriate background from the Old Testament for what John is doing with the word logos here in John 1. This is a far more relevant background than what has often been sought after in Hellenistic philosophy or in Philo or in the Gnostic redeemer myth or even in wisdom and Torah in the Old Testament all of which have been explored as possible backgrounds for John's use of logos here in his prologue this old testament background about revealing creating and saving these functions of the word are the best background for us to understand john's use of logos god uses his word to create and now when god wants to bring about recreation in the world he uses his word again the same agent athanasius says it like this the renewal of creation has been wrought by the self-same word who made it in the beginning there is thus no inconsistency between creation and salvation for the one father has employed the same agent for both works affecting the salvation of the world through the same word who made it in the beginning So having thought about the person or the being of the word in verses 1 and 2, we now want to turn to the actions of the word in verses 3 through 5. This great one, this one who has been from the beginning, this one who is God and who is with God, what does he do in the world? This is a big picture, a flyover view from 85,000 feet. There are broad broad brushstrokes that move from the universal to the particular in verses 3 through 5, from creation to the cross. First, there is creation, verse 3. What are the actions of the word? And this is no surprise given the echo of Genesis in the beginning. So verse 3, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. We need to just stop and marvel at that statement. Several years ago, my family and I enjoyed watching the BBC series Planet Earth, which I'm sure many of you have done as well. And we were mesmerized through episodes like mountains or ocean deep. At the beauty and diversity of God's amazing creation. Incredible scenery. But then think about it. Every single thing that you see in that series. Every single thing that you see when you open your eyes. When you're out in God's beautiful world. Was made by Christ. By the word. Everything has the imprint of Christ upon it. That's an astounding claim. He is responsible for it all. When God said let there be light. There was light. It was the word through whom the light was made. And now as God wants to remake the world. It is the same word who is active and at work. All things were made through him in the original creation. And then he goes on to say in him was life. In him was life. This is not just physical life. Though I think we should see that here. The life of creation. There is of course no life in the universe. That is not derived from the life of God. And the life of the word. That we have breath in our lungs. And a circulatory system that works in our bodies. And more all of this is the gift of God. It is from God. And from his word. There is likely something of the reality. That Jesus also exercises providential care. And sustains the creation that was made through him. So we read in Colossians 1, in him all things hold together. Or in Hebrews 1, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That there is life of any kind originally and that there is life of any kind in an ongoing fashion is due to the creative and sustaining role of this word. That's what John is saying. How massive is the scope of the word's action in creation? And I should say to us at this point that there's nothing in your life outside of the watch of his providential sustaining of the universe. The one who was in the beginning, the one through, through whom all things were made. This one is not taken by surprise, nor is he caught off guard. And he is not unaware by what is going on in the world or even in the recesses of your own heart. He knows. He governs. He oversees. And I trust that should encourage us as we contemplate his being and his actions, but there's more. In him was life, is more than just the life of creation. Jesus is life in a deeper sense, and we've come to believe, we've or we come to see that this is hinted at in this verse. For for life is what Jesus came to bring. I've come that they ha- might have life, and have it more abundantly. John ten ten. Jesus offers the woman at the well the living water. He offers his body as bread for the life of the world. Jesus comes to bring life at Lazarus' graveside. He says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the life, Jesus is saying. Jesus is life in the fullest sense possible, in the sense that we're all looking for it deep and abundant and overflowing life. This is Jesus, the word. And his coming among us. His walking and healing and weeping in our midst. This was all with outstretched arms. To invite us back to the creator. The God of life. In Jesus the word. To come to know the fullness of life. There's a kind of invitation in these words. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. This life was light. It brought about shining. And brought about the way in which people could see. Again there's a sense in which this is true in creation. In that Any way that we are able to walk and to make life work is a gift from the light of Jesus. For with you, Psalm 36, 6 says, is the fountain of life and in your light do we see light. But there is again a deeper dimension to this life being the light of men. In that Jesus says, look, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And when people encounter his life and begin to radiate his light, others come. As we saw in chapter 1 when the disciples find their brothers and then find their friends. Or the Samaritan woman in chapter 4 goes and finds all the people in her town and they come to this light. Or in John the Baptist as we'll come to next week. Jesus's life becomes light and becomes a light for all who would believe in him. They would have the light of life. He creates He is life he is light. Verse 5 then what I would call the climax of the opening lines of the prologue the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. When did the darkness try to overcome the light most of all. By condemning and executing Jesus. On the cross but rather than winning the victory for the darkness in that moment paradoxically the darkness was defeated that was the great victory for the light and this defeat of darkness was evidenced three days later when Jesus rose from the grave the light shines in the darkness this is the only present tense verb in the opening five verses of the gospel It implies an ongoing continuous action. The light shines on. The darkness tried to put it out in the the cross. And I believe we're right to hear the echoes of the great climactic events of Jesus's life. In these opening words of John's gospel. This is what his gospel is about. The darkness has not overcome it. The darkness couldn't crush it. Couldn't keep it down. But the light now shines. The resurrection has taken place. And this light continues to shine. In the midst of the world. We often don't feel that this is true. And sometimes we certainly can't see that it is true. I am sure that this morning some of us find ourselves in circumstances in which we want to cry out with the psalmist in Psalm 88, darkness has become my only companion. Or with Job in chapter 19 who said, He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass. And he has set darkness upon my paths. If that is you this morning, or if that has been you at some point recently, then I want you to be encouraged by verse five of this prologue. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This being who was in the beginning, who was with God, who was God, this being who has made all that we see, this being is life and light. And his light continues to shine on even now, even in this moment, however dark it may feel. However down you feel this morning, the light shines on. However significant the health or financial challenges that you are facing today, the light shines on. However much you sinned in this past week or last night, the light shines on. However broken your relationships are, the light shines on. However much your fears feel like they are overcoming you, the light shines on the light shines on and one day the light that is right now shining however you may feel it or not the light is shining the light that's shining now will one day in Jesus himself return to banish all of the darkness from our present world the opposition which has past tense been soundly defeated at the cross once and for all will be finally expunged from God's creation and all will be well This is our hope. Our sure and only hope. This is the hope that we fix our eyes upon during the season of Advent. That God will return in the person of Jesus. The light will come and flood away the darkness. This light cannot be put out. It continues to shine even now in the darkest places of our world, in prisons and slums and war zones, on Wall Street and in Capitol Hill, in shopping malls and movie theaters, in schools and businesses, in the hearts and through the lives of those who have come to know this Jesus in light. The light is shining on. The light shines. However much the darkness seems to prevail, the light will shine on until that one day comes when the light returns in full. And there will no longer be need for a sun and a moon to light the earth. Because the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb as we read in Revelation 21. That is our future hope. John opens this all up for us. In the first five verses of his gospel. The word. This amazing being. The one who was with God and who was God. The word through whom the world came to be. The word who is life. And whose life is the light of men. This word's light shines on. And nothing will ever stop this word from shining. And fulfilling the purposes that God intended. Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word be it goes from out out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it this word was sent into the world to bring about life and light and if you have encountered this word and you have yielded to this word in your life then you have joined the side of the light and this word and his light are now shining in you and through you as we cast off the works of darkness as Paul says in Romans 13 and as we put on the armor of light as we clothe ourselves with this word the Lord Jesus Christ he shines on in every situation and circumstance this word may we worship him let's pray we do glorify and praise you Lord Jesus Christ the word who was in the beginning the word in whom is life the word whose life is light to all mankind we worship you we adore you we praise you And we cry out come Lord Jesus bring your light in fuller and greater measure into our lives into our world into our city into our neighborhoods. And we pray that you would come that you would return. We long for you to return to make all things new. Come Lord Jesus we pray. Be glorified in our midst. Amen.